0: Good morning. Welcome to Gino and Bill. We're here to visit with us and also introduce the film Cave in the Snow at the Benefit for Tenzin Palmo's Training Center for Women Monastics. And I hope you'll all come over today to. Myoko Jennifer Waters' house, where the benefit is being held, and more information is on the bulletin board. And uh, Gino will also be introducing the film tomorrow evening at Syracuse University. And welcome also to Anju and Victoria, we're here from the North Country. and. Uh, Welcome back to Enko, who just returned from hmm? Opaya, where she did a special retreat for those working with the dying. And welcome to each one of you. Some of you I know well, some of you I don't, but it's nice to have you together. Today is a busy day, we are here to do nothing. Throughout this wonderful day of doing nothing, we have, after this talk, a baby welcoming. At one o'clock we have Jukai class. Then the benefit gathering. And today is the twenty first of March. So it is. Daivasatsu Mandala Day. And as we always do on the twenty first day of the month, we greet our dear cherished ancestral teachers, particularly Yogin Senzaki and Son Nakagawa Roshi, and who greet our dear teacher Edo Roshi, and all those Sanghas who are practicing together in celebration of our spiritual interrelationship. Every now and then, I hear from someone who has read Endless Vow, the book that Kaz and I put together about Son Roshi and uh, his haiku and polygraphy, and a person with no connection to the Zen Studies Society, or Hoenji, says, although I live in North Carolina, although I live in Oregon, although I live in Kansas, although I live... In Europe, every day, every 21st day of the month, I am joining you in chanting, in zazen, in commemorating this extraordinary connection we have, this Dharma. Brought from west to east to west, going from west to east, continuously arriving. And as So she put it in a hyper net, now spread. yeah, east, west. No coming, no going. Very place. So, congratulations both because of today having Jukai class later um, and also some incident that has arisen in our Sangha. I've been thinking a lot about the precept of no deceiving, the precept of true act, true True speech, true act. And when you look at all ten important precepts, it seems to me that this precept about not deceiving is a crucial one. Particularly when there is some involvement with a very normal and healthy aspect of human life, we call sex. It's so difficult for people to be absolutely free of deception, particularly around this wonderful gift that we have for our lives. We could not be here otherwise, right? Each one of us must be truly grateful for the sexual act. Of our parents in future generations we may not be able to say this <laughs> we may have to say thank you wonderful petri dish or turkey baster but still most of us maybe everybody in this room was conceived in an act of More or less, more or less, sexual passion, right? Horrible as that may seem. Think about kids hate the thought of their parents having sex. Okay, now that you've brushed that out of your minds... But it becomes increasingly evident in our own lives how subtle and how uh, really difficult, not deceiving regarding sexuality can be. And with all of the precepts somebody might think, well, I'm trying my best, but I'm not always sure I'm able to understand when I am headed for a good act or a bad act. Sometimes my grasp of Moral behavior doesn't seem so clear there are some gray areas and this is totally natural very much part of our human existence but at the same time we can bring a very helpful check checkpoint. To something we may be contemplating, something we may be contemplating with um, some degree of confusion, and we might ask ourselves, "Do I feel comfortable bringing this up in public?" It was a wonderful. Zen teacher who said, Act in private as though you were with others. Act in public as though you are alone. What does this mean? Act in private as though you are surrounded by people whose good opinion you carefully have cultivated and maybe you've projected a certain image of yourself as one worthy of respect. And therefore, when you're with these people, you don't want to necessarily have them see the way you really know you are. This is very common. We cultivate a certain front, a certain face, and we think it's okay, what I do in private is nobody else's business. It's okay as long as I'm seen to be the person whose every deed is worthy of respect and approval. So I can carry around this little private of distress without anyone knowing about it. So that's one side. The other side is act in public as though you are alone. What does this mean when we're all together? No pretense. Right. Hmm? Hmm? No face. maybe. I'm feeling really greedy. I want what you're eating. I'm gonna grab it out of your hand. This is good. So we have no false front. I'm so with greed. Okay. Gobble gobble gobble. I'm so sorry, but my greed is right out there. It's a lot better than. So, this is a really good checkpoint for us. How would this really look if it were shown without any pretense? If I could just be this way in public. So, for example, many times people go to conferences, or um, reunions, or someplace away from home, and back home is unsuspecting spouse or partner, right? And this person, Mrs. X, meets Mr. Z. And, oh, here we are in Omaha. Nobody will ever be affected adversely by our having a good time, right? We depart from this place, and we don't carry on some kind of internet romance Just This is it. No problem, right? Nobody's harmed. But there may be some little question inside each Mrs. Huh? Mrs. X and Mr. Z may be thinking, oh, hmm. yeah, it's probably okay, but I know it's okay because, you know, I feel really good about it, but and it's so easy to ignore the but. But imagine if Mrs. X calls home and says, Honey, I'm feeling a really strong urge to have sex with Mr. Z. Is that okay with you? And Mr. Z is calling home and saying, Guess what? I met this really enticing, luscious person, and we want to have a nice time tonight, that's fine with you, right? And maybe, okay. But the point is, do we feel we can do that? And if not, then what's going on? And what happens is we have so many skillful, manipulative ways of deceiving ourselves that we never even think about calling home and saying, hi, honey, I want to have sex with someone else tonight. I'm just using sex as an example because it's one that we're all familiar with, right? Anybody here not familiar with the intricacies of sexual urges? one thing, isn't it? So, unfortunately, we don't conduct ourselves in private as though we were with people we care about in public. And we don't conduct ourselves in public just as the Boorish people, we really are. Of course, not you, but sometimes we feel, I feel really disgusting. Let it out. Otherwise, what happens is this self deception takes over. Self deception. In the Jewish High Holy Day prayers, we have a wonderful poem. Self-deception is a strong fort. And we keep adding to this fort every time we engage in self-deception. Until, finally, what happens? Can't even tell that we've erected this fort. We're so much a prisoner that we don't even know we're in jail. And yet we may go and practice and think, ah, practice of liberation, right? And this is where, again, it's a subtle matter about the precepts. When we talk about the precepts as true bodhisattva precepts, without any conventional sense of uh, dualistic thinking, without any conventional ideas about good and bad. When we really come from an awakened state of mind and see through, then there's no self, no other, no self-deception, no ego-driven act, right? How many of us can live that way, from one moment to the next, even within a seven-day session? Huh? Anybody? What does it mean to be a fully realized Buddha? Only a fully realized Buddha can say, I do not need to be concerned about conventional morality. Now, I may sound like a kind of Jonathan Edwards here at the pulpit. I came through the 60s, right? I know all about this. I am speaking from experience. And in the old days, Buddhism in America has come through quite a tumultuous adolescence. and. At the center of every single problem and every single center is deception. Secrecy. So when something happens in our own Sangha, the first thing is to address it directly. No, secrecy. Let it get aired out. This is really important. And then to help the person who has made a mistake. Not to shun, but to work together. To add our intensive Nen to really work with this intensive Nen on this person's behalf. Just as we offer our Nen in Kamsayon chanting for those who are ill, for those who have stumbled, ourselves and all others, whether knowingly or not, whether self-deceptively. Or self acknowledgingly. There's a wonderful uh, section in The Path to Bodhidharma by Shodo Harara Roshi about this. He refers to uh, the practice of confessional repentance, which used to be done frequently in monastic settings and is no longer being done and with obvious consequences. but we chant here, we chant at Badasalsa, we chant at uh, Shoboji and many many other centers in the United States and other countries, the verse of purification, which is quite the same, verse of purification every day. Whenever we meet, we chat. Morning service, right? All the evil karma ever committed by me since of old, on account of my greed, anger, and folly. Born of my body, mouth. of us can avoid doing harmful act. And many of us may even be able for the most part to avoid harmful speech although this is much harder. But to really look within at our own thought process and see how that in itself is generating harm. We think whatever isn't seen is okay, right? When in private I can act privately. This is big self-deception. When in private, think you are in public. That really keeps us straight. Upright. Strong Zazen posture is an example of a physical manifestation of this kind of being straight with ourselves and others. And Karada Roshi says, this confessional repentance is a process of reviewing your behavior of looking at what you have done and seeing whether the ego was involved, whether you were acting with a clear mind. This is not something to do once a year or once a month or once a week. Every single day you should review your behavior, truly examining it to see if during that day you were acting from a clear mind or in an ego-driven way. So Senzaki spoke of Benjamin Franklin's of looking at each day and identifying those things in the day that he was ashamed of and truly, really trying to change. This turning from self-deception to clarity, this turning from self-driven or ego-driven, the idea that we are separate, that we have to... Gratify ourselves as separate beings. This is the fundamental illusion, the fundamental ignorance when we look at suffering, right? What is the second noble truth? What is driving us to engage in the production of suffering? Our ignorance that we are, our ignorant idea that we are a separate being that has to be uh, fed independently of all other beings, that our cravings are more important than other people's cravings, right? So we hear ourselves say, I need! Or maybe it's much quieter. I need, I need, I need, I need. I really need that person. I really need that person to think something of me. I need that person to engage in my extolling of what a wonderful person I am, because I know really, secretly, I'm a terrible person. So if I can get that person to think, oh, really, what a wonderful person, then I'll feel better about myself. All this self stuff, the s- source of suffering, So what we're here to do in our practice is to see through this fundamental lie. Fundamental lie, fundamental deception is of a separate self. And it causes intolerable suffering. I want to end with a story of someone who went through the process that we all have to go through of this setting up a separate self, suffering because of the separate self, and finally, through deep, humiliating practice, seeing through such a lie of a separate self. This is from Zen and the Ways by Trevor Leggett. And it's a story that um, I think I may have told you before, some of you. Today, Niogetsu Rani Selvin is coming, another thing that's happening today, to give uh, shakahachi lessons. So this story came to mind. A new flute was devised in China and a Japanese master flutist learned it while he was visiting the mainland. He brought back a number of the new flutes and the method of making them. He lived in the capital but undertook performances in various parts of the country to spread the knowledge of the new instrument. At one musical center a long way from the capital, this master was introduced as the last item in the annual concert which the Guild of Musicians used to give. The master sat in the center of a great gathering of musicians and music lovers and played one melody on the new flute. When he finished, he sat quite still and the whole assembly remained motionless. After some time, an old musician said, Like a god. The next day, before the master left, the guild of musicians asked him whether he would take a pupil from among their ranks. They would together subscribe the sum needed for the training. How long would it be in the case of one already expert on the flute? About three years. It was agreed that they should choose one man to learn the new flute so that he could come back and teach it to the others. They selected a young man, a brilliant musician, and he set off for the master's house with the money entrusted to him, part the honorarium for the master and part for his own living expenses. He made over the first on his arrival and then set to work. The master gave him only one piece. He practiced it all day and played it to the master in the evening. At first, he was given considerable technical instruction but after a few months, the master made no comment except something lacking. The young man redoubled his efforts, but the comment was still the same. He knew he was technically perfect, but he could not return without the certificate of mastery sealed by the teacher. He was in agony, alternately elated by the hope of success and then tense at the thought of the disgrace if he failed. He asked that the tune be changed, but the master refused to do it. After a long time, the pupil gave up in despair. One night, he slipped away from the house. He could not face the guild without the teacher's certificate, and he took lodgings in the town. He tried practicing other tunes on the new flute, but he felt himself that there was something still lacking, though he could not find what it was. He began to drink heavily and finally came to the end of his money. He drifted back a semi-beggar to his own part of the country, but was too ashamed to show himself to the musicians. They made no attempt to get in touch with him. He lived in a little hut well away from the towns. Some neighboring farmers who had heard his flute sent their children to him to take beginner's lessons. He still occasionally played on the new flute, but without being able to find any new inspiration in it. Early one morning, two messengers came to him from the Guild of Musicians. One was the oldest past master and the other the youngest apprentice musician. Today we are holding our annual assembly and we beg you, every one of us, to take part. The past has never been. There is only today. We ask you today to join us. We are all resolved that we will not hold our assembly without you. They overcame his feelings of shame. And as if in a dream, he picked up his flute and went with them. When they arrived, he sat fearfully in the shadow of a pillar. No one broke in on his thoughts. As the last item of the concert, the announcer called his name, and in his tattered clothes, he went out to the center. He found that the instrument he had picked up was the new flute. Now he had nothing to gain and nothing to lose. He played the piece which he had played so many times to his teacher in the capital. When he finished, there was dead silence. No one moved for a time. And then the voice of the old past master was heard in the still air. Like a god. each one of us live our lives this way, in tatters, with humility, with sincerity for our practice, cutting off, as it arises, every self-addicted, illusory self-deception.